Nico, turn off that horrid noise reduction. That's it sounds gone. like okay, God. <laughs> you mean you mean turn on that excellent noise reduction is what you meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> I like how guys, if you're still here after a minute and a half, thank you. Uh, we like to intro these real janky. That way we make sure only the true tons are here with us. <laughs> Everybody else listening is like, uh, I don't flush know. Them out. Yeah, flush them we, out. yeah, we get rid of them early. <laughs> we make our stuff purposely bad to get people. <laughs> only the truest of fans will still enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Um, hey, wow. real quick. So. Speaking speaking of instruments, um, mm-hmm. so I I discovered that there's a master handpan craftsman here in Glendale, California, literally three minutes from my house. Are you gonna get um, it? Of course, I'm gonna get it. Okay. <laughs> I actually I, I went and visited this morning. I made an appointment at 9:30 a.m. and met with him and learned a little bit about my hand pan, as well as the stuff he makes. It's uh, his place is called. He has two companies basically. He has Acolyte Instruments, which is hand pans for the for the average consumer like you and me. Hand pans for the average man's hands. Exactly. And then he has <laughs> uh, his custom hand panned uh, shop called Nirvana Hand Pan, where he will custom make a hand pan. And whatever tuning you want, wow. um, and all wow. these different like materials, Are and you... he only makes twenty four a year. So, damn, I'm, I'm signing up. I won't get mine Those until March. Certainly, yeah, hand pans <laughs> will pan a man's hands. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, these handmade hand pans are gonna make, make my hands real sore, man. <laughs> he's he's probably got like s- hands of steel. He's got from, some thick slappers. From, yeah, from panning all those pans and just got and pans for hands. hands. <laughs> Hand in all those pans. Giant calluses making its webbed fingers just super thick. When you look at his when you look at his hand sideways, it it actually looks like there's another hand on it because it's just it's just a callus. Calluses are so thick. Wow. Beautiful. Uh, So in other news. Wait, wait. We're not done with this. You're getting one, Nico. I am gonna get one. I'm I'm putting in my deposit here, so I can be in line. I won't get it till March. Maybe maybe he'll hear this podcast million. and or maybe he's, I don't know, maybe somebody in his workshop is a fan of Corridor and they're like, Hey, Nico ordered a handband and maybe he'll bump it up the, the line. Okay. <laughs> um, what tuning? What tuning? You know, so that's a good question. It's so I wasn't sure question. how good I wasn't sure how good my handpan was, so I brought it in and he's like, It's not bad. I was like, Cool. Mm. <laughs> um But I was like, you know, maybe I should get something that could complement this. And he's like, you know what? You're gonna drop the money to get a really nice handpan. Don't get it in like some like other obscure key get it in your main key that you're working in and you know what if you want to get another companion piece just sell this one on craigslist that you already got this you know this older one you got and you can get another one that way but 
He's like, you're going to play the, the new one the most, so make that one the one you're most familiar with. So I'm going to probably stick with a D minor here. I might get a slightly different version of the D minor scale. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what I'm thinking. Sounds like a true master speaking. Yeah, yeah, straight up. It's pretty cool. Like, these are really obscure instruments. They were invented. Like, the instrument was literally invented in the year 2000. And it wasn't really available from like more than one person for like the next decade. And to get one was like you'd have to pay like ten grand for one. And then little by little, people figured out how to make them, and it's kind of spread. And this guy's been making them by hand for about six years. So he probably hand made hands. probably made more hand pans than like you know he's probably like in the top ten people in the world that have made hand pans. Yeah, that's the, the beauty of Los Angeles. You know, it's like you have all these crazy people here that do amazing things. He's the hand the pan man. He's the hand pan man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes pans. Wait, can he's I, got hands, and he brought them together. <laughs> can I ask a question though? No. If this if this instrument has only been around since two thousand, mm-hmm. I well, it's a take on like a jap. Uh, like, sorry, a Jamaican like steel drum kind of right. Yes. Like, same, yes. Similar similar in, in in inspiration. That's. I mean, that's actually where it came from. It was a it was a Swedish dude, I think, who was uh, is Swiss or Swedish? I think it's Swedish. Um, person who had gone and had like a residency in jamaica learning how to make steel drums for a while and okay. they came back to sweden and of course did like the whole like european pretentious thing it's like i make sound sculptures so i made an inverted steel drum and they're like whoa mm. this is actually super cool and sounds really neat and uh you know you have to write them an essay for them to make you an instrument <laughs> those guys so wait. yeah needless to say like wait other people yeah what? they made you prove that you had what it takes for them to make a hand pan for you. To be fair, you know, it's like one dude, like a craftsman, spending like a week working on it. So they want to make sure, like, they're not just giving it to some, like, person who's going to not ever, ever play it. But, you know, it still is a bit uh, gatekeeping-y. <laughs> so other people learned how to make them eventually. The American and... in me is like, why wouldn't you just ask more money until, until you establish a market that pays for the amount, for the price that suits they, the rate at which you can make them. They did. I think it was all part of the mystique, oh, you know, the exclusivity, because oh, okay. they still charge 10 grand for oh, them. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now you can get one, like, you know, you can get one from this guy, that, like the Acolyte Instruments one, like where it's just, they're they're the ones that are like are made at a certain key and they just mass produces those. I mean, quote unquote, mass produces, aka yeah. three dudes just work on them in a workshop. Right. Um, but you can get those for $1,200 versus, you know, back in the day, they okay. costing five to 10. Okay. I only have um, one more question. And then we can okay. move on from hand pans. Yes. How do you become a master hand pan man? As in, like, how does this guy become a master craftsman, or how do you become a good musician? At well, playing you it? said he was a master hand pan man, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think you become a master hand pan man by making hundreds of hand pans by hand in your workshop. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Next. Okay. There wasn't like some musical board that. Like... No, there's not like a guy with the black belt who like charges you, you know, challenges you to a duel, and then okay. if you can like, it's like you know, it's not like a banjo duel because he, banjo masters have to kill another banjo master to retain. Yeah, the title. and then and then you have to play the devil. After <laughs> right. That. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so every banjo master has defeated the devil in a banjo duel. Yeah. Yeah. That's why there's only two of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like. Uh... What's his name? Uh, Earl, Ur, there's, uh, Earl Scruggs. Earl, there's Earl, 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 Earl Scruggs. And, <laughs> and uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Anyways, this is unforgivable. We have to They're out on. there. It's fine. No, the guy that invented the three-picking banjo. No one knows his name. 
Oh my god, I have to remember this. Guys, I'm sorry. I failed you all. I don't remember his name. It's the guy that used to accompany Scruggs. It's not like Earl you're Scruggs. on a computer. Boy, if only somebody made a search engine for flat. to look up these things. Scruggs and Flat. Flat. Ah, uh, yes. How can I forget? Flat. Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs. There you go. <laughs> How could you forget? Anyways. How could you um, forget? Whew. So well, uh, the election happened, but we're recording this before it's uh, officially happened. <laughs> yes, um, we're recording so this the, on election night. At the yeah, moment the, that the we're relics. recording this, yeah, this is now a relic. We we have no idea who's going to win. This and, is hey, that maybe, pure, maybe when it comes out, innocence. people will still have no idea. <laughs> I yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be. Well, here, let's take predictions here. Okay. Actually, let me just also just say one more thing. I'd love to talk about this a little more after our predictions. Yeah. People generally know that we avoid politics at Corridor. Yeah. Because we're not a political, we don't. There's a lot of baggage that comes with starting to like take political stances on things. Now, it doesn't right. mean we don't sh- share our philosophies, right? But we tend to not like endorse people. So this prediction round here is not us endorsing anything. Who do you predict is going to win? Right. What do you predict is going to happen? Um, I, I'll, I guess I'm starting. Uh, <clears throat> I I think Biden's going to win, but it's. Really hard to say because everyone thought that in 2016 too. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that Clinton was going to win, and uh, she didn't. Obviously, um, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. So, you know, I. It's hard for me to say for sure. Um, if that's you're going to give my... an answer, you got to give it fast because everyone listening is just shaking their heads, going, "They all know." They don't the know. They everyone don't... knows the oh, answer. They already know. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. my answer. That's my answer. <laughs> You already know who won. I think Biden's going to win, but I think it's going to be by a slim margin. Um, And and my instincts could be wrong because everyone was wrong in 2016 about that, too. (laughs) I I have to agree. I have to agree. I think it's going to be pretty tight, but Biden's probably going to win because um, I just feel like all the people who were amped about Trump in 2016 have been basically shit on for the last four years. So I feel like I don't think he's gained more supporters, so to speak. By the way, Sam, your voice sounds like a robot. It does sound a little bit like a robot. Okay. Wow. Did that just... Wait, wait, wait. It just happened. How about, how about now? How about uh, now? Now you're just quiet. Okay, well... Is oh, this... That's a little better. Okay, well... Is your phone near your microphone? No. Well, now that we're mid-podcast... Um, <laughs> now I you're can. really quiet. <laughs> now you're a quiet robot. So I, I can play tech support here. But it's a gamble. This or is just what, cut this out of the episode. No, we don't cut anything from the episodes anymore. This is you're we're oh, here shoot. to hang out. You're right, well, flying along I, on the top of a train, and the little choo choo bell isn't working anymore, and you got to okay. fix it at 100 miles an hour. Try <laughs> unplugging your microphone and plugging it back in. Uh, it's it's a XLR microphone, mm. so I have, if I unplug the interface, I have to. I think your interface is what messed up, honestly. Okay, I'm, I'm, good, getting that, I'm getting that, that garbledness. That Here we go. Face. We're cutting this out of the episode. Wait, wait, it's cutting clean. my audio. Okay, it's good. What? It's good now. Yeah, yeah it's you clean fixed now. it. I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't touch it. Dude, 
Okay, so anyways. this is Dobie, ladies and gentlemen. Dobie made a Let's guest appearance on. in the right. podcast just anyways. now. <laughs> Sam, we're this... leaving this in. We're leaving all this in. It's great. Okay, well, it's okay. We're just hitting that flush on the toilet right now. As We're just trying to flush as many <laughs> listeners off this podcast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And now the podcast begins. Here we go. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam, who are you predicting? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's going to be Biden, but close margin. I personally think he's lost more supporters than gained. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Neither outcome isn't necessarily ideal. Uh, unfortunately, you think, you think Trump's lost more supporters than gained? Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not because with the with with the everything that's gone on this year, I, I don't know. Honestly, it's it's really hard to say. It, it might be just a wash. Like yeah. people may have left, people may have joined, but I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm big into st- statistics, and I really enjoy like the day before an election and reading all the statistics. I've looked at some pretty good breakdowns, and the thing with with uh, the 2016 election is that you know you have a you have a basically a, usually for your polls you have a three point margin of error that can go in one direction or the other. So if you're at zero, you can either swing you know towards negative three, or you can swing to positive three, which really means you have a six percent or a six point mm-hmm. you know swing, Standard which is a lot actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so uh, Hillary was you know while they projected her to win or favored her to win. Um, if you picked, you know, if you went into the towards Trump's favor for that three point deviation, then Trump wins. Mm-hmm. And once again, you can totally be within that margin, like anywhere within that margin is fine. It's not like it's any less likely to occur right. in one candidate's favor than another. And that's something that wasn't really communicated to people when like when they're doing the news broadcasts and stuff is that like Hillary was only favored to win within the three point margin. And if, you know, and if that three point margin was an error in favor of Trump, then Trump was going to win. And that's what happened. Currently. That's not the case. You know, currently Biden is favored to win, you know, and if it goes all the way towards Trump's margin of error, Biden is still likely to win, but it's just going to be a narrow victory versus landslide victory. And uh, my computer screen just disappeared. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's hard to say if those polls are ha- have have accuracy if they're accurate too because mm-hmm. You know, just from the, the the climate this year, like it's very clear that a lot of people left leaning voted early, a lot of people right leaning voted to today, and mm-hmm. a lot of people left leaning participate more in those polls. I think overall, given the 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 bodies that uh, conduct them, so yeah. it, it's there could be some hidden numbers there. I, you know, I'm not a pollster, I'm not an expert on this in any sense, so I'm just kind of hypothesizing based upon what I'm reading and seeing, but. Um, yeah, yeah. There was one thing that I, I postulated way back when when Trump won that election in 2016, which is, I think the one positive. I mean, depends on where you are. And you can take a lot of positives or no positives, whatever. I'm, once again, I'm not endorsing anybody, but I think the one positive you could take from having Trump as a president is that a lot more people became involved in and aware of politics. Um, and in fact, if you look at the numbers this year, it proves that. Where you know, I think it was something like uh, 118 million or something like that people voted. Um, in the 2016 election, and we already have 100 million ballots that have been mailed in. Mm-hmm. So we're, all, we're almost approaching the numbers of people voted from the 2016 election in just early voting alone, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So, you know, right there, it does show that people have become more passionate, more involved in this country's uh, politics. Yeah. Um, due overall, to... that's a good thing, I think. Overall, like, it's certainly a good thing. As long, often... as, as long as you're doing your, your, your duty as an American citizen to educate yourself before you vote. Definitely. Because a, a lot of people treat a... politics like sports. And yeah. I don't think it's healthy. I, I you know, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not going to reveal like 
who I generally vote for, like along party lines. But Kanye, yeah, Kanye. (laughs) But regardless, like what I do with every single race before I vote, I go in and I do my research on all the main candidates, whether that's Democrat, Republican, sometimes even Libertarians. (laughs) Um, I know I'm not voting for Green Party, so sorry, guys. I'm I'm not, but um, but we're we're using deduction now. Yeah, now it's down to three. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So now it's ninety nine, clearly, and a half percent of everyone. Uh, So what I do is I go through and I look at all of them, and then also having just moved to Texas, the way that they run state elections here is different. Um, So, for example. Uh, the Texas Supreme Court of the state, uh, the every time there's a vacancy on the on the Texas State Supreme Court, the governor uh, appoints the the next person, but then that person comes into the term uh, of the person that they left, which run on six year uh, alternating cycles, hmm. and so say like uh, you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg for example just passed say if she was on a term and say she was like four years into a six-year term, then uh, Amy Coney Barrett would be appointed. She would then be placed in that position. And then two years later, she'd have to go through uh, like basically an, an approval election. Um, hmm. They're not very political, but I there is maybe there's some, com- I, I'm, I'm too early to judge it, but there might be some common sense there with like the idea that, okay, you're appointed and then you, you, you still have like a, a term limit where after like six or 10 or 20 years or whatever, you have to re up, uh, and it's just it's basically the people's opportunity to say, yeah, you're doing a good job. St- you know, keep going. <clears throat> um, and so there's risk in that, obviously, because because you, you turn it over to the public to decide that sort of thing uh, at a certain point. But it's also I liked how it was balanced between uh, like not just being a complete like oh let's just pick the most charismatic politician who will say anything to be a judge versus you know this person's going to decide for you and you have no choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different interesting, there's also like a railroad commissioner here. Who's, who's basically a railroad commissioner. Yeah. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a carryover term from uh, the railroad days, but basically um, up until the seventies uh, when OPEC became more powerful as a, as the, the main cartel that controlled the oil and gas industry, which by the way, people cartels are not necessarily illegal. Cartels are just economic organizations that uh, control a price on a product. Mm. Um, And so before OPEC, the Texas Railroad Commission actually set the standard uh, in many ways for the price of oil and gas, uh, not only nationally, but globally. Um, And they still continue to have a lot of influence in that today. And so Mm. that's also an electable position. And I'm, I'm still doing like my, my, my deep dive into that and its history, but like, that one struck me as a little like, hey, maybe maybe this person shouldn't be elected, um, <laughs> you know, because what you need in there is a really good economist. That's what you mm. need. You don't you don't want to be like electing the, the head of the Federal Reserve. You know, you don't want that to be like a political position. You want that. Yeah, to it's be... just tricky with those positions of power, you know. Well, of course. I mean, there's always a balance, but I, I just deep diving into that's been really interesting moving from california to texas and seeing how the uh the structures are different you know it's uh well i guess you know we'll know once this podcast comes out but supposedly texas might actually go uh blue this year which would be rather a big change of pace for that that state oh i 
I think that's a little bit more conjecture than, than <laughs> you might be led to believe. I mean, maybe I'm dead wrong, but like... I mean, right now there's 3.6 million, 3, 3. million votes have been counted in Texas, <laughs> and Biden's ahead. It's 54% Biden, 45% Trump right now. Right now, as, as of this podcast recording, yeah, right this that's, second. That's accounting early voting. All right, so guys, True. it's not a live podcast. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if again, you haven't noticed... I, I have to I keep have to remind you guys, this is, yeah. Actually, a point on that, though. <laughs> if, uh, if people would like to see live podcasts, it's something we've been discussing. We might start doing them as soon as this year, probably early next year. We're going to start doing them live on corridordigital.com, and then they'll come out like shortly thereafter on youtube and then obviously they'll be published uh on all the audio only platforms so let us know if that's something you want to see so we've generally avoided talking about politics you know and taking political stances as corridor like you won't see you know you won't see candidate endorsements or anything like that on our instagram um no hell no we're even pretty soft about even just like the general stuff um you know, I obviously this is this is a setup question. I'm you know starting a discussion here, but Jake, why is that? Why do we avoid politics? Well, um, it's first of all, it's just not it's not our sphere of expertise, right? Like mm-hmm. we're we're just we're just men who live our regular lives, and we you know we make videos, and that's got its own little weird niche and all these different inherent sort of characteristics to it. And I try to focus on that. I mean, my my basic philosophy is like do what you can with what you have around you and don't try to, don't really worry about the rest, you know, mm-hmm. focus on your sphere of influence, try to make that sphere of influence as the best thing that it can possibly be. And then just move on because that's all, if everyone does that, then guess what? We live in a really awesome world, you know, <clears throat> but you, that just, my whole philosophy is like, you know, if it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't, uh, if it's not infringing on your freedoms, then, you know, I'm pretty libertarian in that sense. Um, then I'm pretty cool with people doing whatever they want. Um, but you know, by and large, I think that comes from that philosophy, which is just like, focus on yourself, make yourself better because that will make everyone around you and everything around you better. Um, Mm. and, and, and it's sort of the, the inward out philosophy rather than looking outward and saying what why what can i get from the world it's more saying like what can i build within myself and then and then give to the world or or bring into the world rather obviously you know there's your own inherent benefits that you get that comes with that but i feel like that's just a good philosophy for anyone to have and so i don't i don't necessarily approach anything differently um and you know by and large like sam was saying a few podcasts back like maintaining uh quarter digital as a place where people can come be entertained enjoy stories focus on new interesting things that we're working on and that we're doing and have that be the focus of of what our content is i think is just there's a there's a need for that too and there's a place for Mm -hmm. that too and there's a lot of pressure in today's day and age to want to oh you have to have an opinion about everything you have to have and it's like that's just not true. And not only as a young person, like what you say, you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you've been thinking about real world issues for what, maybe three, four years, <laughs> you know, it's like, you just, you just don't have it all up here in order to like fully examine the the full extent of, of everything that's going on in the world and have a perfect solution for it. And I, and I, and I think upholding people to that standard is completely unrealistic. And mm-hmm. then also like the whole idea of, of, 
judging people for which presidential candidate they vote for, I think is is heinous in, in, a, in a way. Like there's a lot of pragmatic reasons for why you might vote for Biden or why you might vote for Trump or why you might vote for somebody else. And mm-hmm. I think just respecting the fact that people can have different things that are important to them and you can you can look at that and you can say, okay, that that's great. As long as you're educating yourself about it, as long as it, it matters to you and as long as it's, you know, you're going about it in a way that's not destructive to others, then I think it's a, you know, you can't judge somebody for that. Yeah. I mean, the majority of people are good people and they want the best for one another. And, you know, everybody has their story and their context and you can't just ignore that, <clears throat> you know, regardless of who somebody votes for, you need to know why, if you're going like, you right. can't just be like, oh, you vote for this person. I'm going to judge you because of that. Cause you're, right. you know, what, yada, yada. Right. It's, you know, everybody has context and it's just, especially now, like the human mind's not set up t- to understand that there's like, you know, millions of individuals all with different backstories, you know, here yeah. in America. And, uh, you know, anytime you treat a group of people as one monolithic, entity that all share the same ideology mm-hmm. you're really you're really being unfair um because that's not how people work and right. you know if as you, human beings we have the need to do that we have the need to put a, a, a symbol or a name on something and then everything just matches my category now you know that right. i put put that in but that's not how the real world works and i think if you're going to in good faith talk about politics you need to have that nuance but there's really not a lot of room for nuance when it comes to entertainment. And that's kind of where the problem is, you know, when that's it comes to talking well. about politics. Yeah. yeah. At the, and then the last thing I think just to button that up is, is if you are out judging others on a topic and, and you yourself aren't like really educated in that topic, I think, I don't think that's fair. You know, mm-hmm. like there's been a lot of situations this year where I think like, things have become aggrandized or simplified and people have just, you know, taken to the, taken to the torches and flames about it without necessarily understanding, well, what, what is the context here? What is the law here? What is the rational basis for why things are done this way? Am I understanding that? Am I aware of that? Or do I just write it off as like, well, the whole system's corrupt and so it's all wrong. Cause that's not how, that's not how this, that's not how anything gets better. You know, there's a there's an interesting parallel. So I listened to uh, the Dan Carlin podcast on the the fall of Rome, Ooh, uh, the, the death one. throes of the old yes, republic, which is a great a, title for a podcast. <laughs> great one, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, one of the, the parallels that I you know really drew to today, it's you know this idea of mob justice, right? Yeah. And sometimes you know it's like it's just it, you know justice isn't being served, so sometimes you just got to get a mob together to make it happen. It's like because here's the thing, <laughs> here's the thing. So yeah, so there was an unwritten rule. I mean, I guess it was probably written actually in Rome, which is that you never. So basically, as a general, you'd have your legionaries. Yeah. And when you're a general, when you come into Rome, you don't take your army with you. Uh, basically, there's an unwritten rule that never a holy ever, city ever do you ever bring in your military to make something happen in rome like your military that's all for conquering other lands but in rome no never ever ever. it was an offense to the gods that's how they exactly yeah Yeah. sure enough (laughs) just before caesar i think it was i can't remember the guy's name um yeah 
So I'm not worried about it. The other guy. The guy just before Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Sure enough, was like, you know what? These senators are corrupt. They're killing people left and right. You know, they were. The like, senators were like literally assassinating their rivals and the people that are trying to stand up against them because they were turning. They're basically a bunch of, you know, corrupt, bribed officials that were making power plays. It's all a bunch of, you know, House of Cards, Frank Underwood's types. You yeah, know? and there was no police. There's no police. Yeah. And you so the just... general's like, yeah, he's just like, screw this. I. I'm going to march on the city. Screw yeah. it. I'm going to have a coup. You know, I'm going to kick them all out. I'm going to make myself emperor because I'm going to fix these problems. Right. And, you know, all those good intentions are great. But then he established that, hey, guess what? It is now no longer sacred. You can finally march in the city. And right. if you basically if you break those sacred rules, if you if you go and you do the thing that you never should do, even if it's, quote unquote, for good, mm-hmm. it's not it's not going to stick because now the next person can say well i guess you know they march in the city because it's bad well guess what things are still bad so now i'm going to march in the yeah. city which is kind of what happened with julius caesar and then sure enough everybody just kept assassinating each other and rome fell apart <laughs> i mean caesar that's a huge was, that was the guy that caesar was married to his daughter right yes yes yeah. exactly yeah but caesar kind of did the same thing he made himself emperor and once again you know he's like he tried to do good things to a certain degree, you know, you can look at, you know, also had to, you know, things that weren't good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could argue that Caesar was actually an emperor for the people. But the thing is, the moment Caesar died, there was nothing like there's nothing in place to continue that benevolence. Yeah. You know, it's he, instead he just established, hey, guess what? You can murder and kill your way into power. And it's totally OK yeah, if your reason is good. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> Caesar was benevolent. Like, so he yeah. said well, and no, did all not. those things because I mean, and then he declared himself dictator for life. <laughs> yeah. So you were only but, supposed to be dictator for 10 years before that. Yeah. But basically what I'm trying to get to here is like, you know, so if you turn it to like modern times, like with mob mentality, right? Even if it's quote unquote for a good cause, you know, even in quote unquote, you're canceling somebody who deserves it. If you're if you're doing it the wrong way, you're setting an awful president. And it's not it's not. It's not a long-term solution. It will not last. It's not how you actually fix things. If you fix things, you have to do it in a good way. You have to fix things the appropriate way. You can't just take a shortcut because in real life, the ends do not justify the means. Right. That's not how humanity works. And if and I we think all, a lot of people, yeah, yeah, no, it's easy to, to forget that. Totally. If 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 more people from all walks of life applied that, I, I, I we'd be a lot better off. Like, yeah, not like we're not. You know, this, this I, I still think this country is a wonderful place to live. Um, oh, certainly. But uh, yeah, obviously we, we 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 need to get some uh, some things sort of back on track and done right. But, you know, that's that's that will always be true no matter what yeah. what city you live in, what state, what country. The, there will always be room for improvement. 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. But well, to come full circle on that question, uh reason we stay out of politics on these channels is because there are plenty of other sources if you want to get into that you that's know? true yeah that's true everything as well. in the world does not have to be political you know yeah you, have opinions, <laughs> and you should right. definitely vote and do all your business but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that everything you create or produce or get involved with has to have some sort of political agenda associated with it to make it meaningful because right. mm-hmm. There are things in life that are meaningful that are not related to politics. So, um, yep. Yeah. I feel like I, that's I, the best way I can sum that up. Yeah. You know, and it's honestly, politics come from your human philosophy. And so I'd rather speak to human philosophy and then let people have that naturally bloom into whatever it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, versus me telling them, like, here's the end result. And I'm going to let you figure out how to get there. Right. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's not yeah. like, um, 
just being really involved in politics or having very strong opinions about it uh, also sets a stage to solve all the world's problems. I think that's a that's a that's a thing that people need to sort of get away from philosophically as well as mm-hmm. this idea that like, oh, well, government's supposed to fix everything, right? Like, you know, what about what about yourself? What about those around you? What about what about your responsibility to others? You know, that mm-hmm. that all all of that stuff comes first fun, fundamentally. And then, you know, that, that other stuff is, you know, it's going on, but like there's yeah, not strong, a there's not strong a top opinions, down. Strong yeah. opinions without action are kind of akin to gossip, you know, at a certain point. Yeah. Where it's like you're just talking. <laughs> so, yeah. Now action is super important and I you know, here's I'm last thing here, and then we can move on to something else. But sure. this is the, this is the thing that strikes me as a, a big challenge, and I I wish more people would be aware of this. But people live up to your expectations. This isn't a thing like it's proven with psychology studies. It's proven with many different things. But like, yeah. like they, for example, they did a study where it's like they had a classroom and they told the teacher like this kid is really smart, so you know they're gifted. Uh, enjoy. This kid, not so smart, not gifted. They're going to be a problem child. Of course, both of those introductions were completely, you know, like those are misleading things. Like there's nothing yeah. special about either kid. Sure enough, the kid that was the, the teacher thought was uh, that was expecting to be gifted turns out to do better. And the kid that the teacher expected to do worse did worse. So mm-hmm. people live up to their expectations. Now, if we are constantly expecting, whether it's a government official or the police or the teachers or any other kind of, you know, government job. Like if we are, or even not even that anything, if we are constantly expecting people to be like assholes or fuck ups, <laughs> you know, with these things, well, guess what? People are going to live up to that expectation. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the really hard things is how can you be critical of something or how can you impact change, but how can you do it in a way that sets an expectation that like, you know, I can appreciate you or I can see you doing a good job or like these are the things that you did great on. Like, you know, where's that positive expectation? Where can we expect, you know, our <laughs> where can we expect our utility company to do a great job with our utilities? Where can, you, yeah. where can we expect the police to do a great job with policing, et cetera, so that people can live up to these positive expectations? Because right now everybody expects government employees to be really, really bad at something. And that's kind of then what happens is people live up to those expectations and that's just something that like, you know, that that's complete like that matches for any political ideology on any side of the aisle. It's just how people are. You know, everybody expects the worst of whatever it is that they're criticizing. Yeah. And it's really hard to get positive change if that's how you're approaching it. That's a good point. Um, and, and, and I've seen that even in well, like you said, I've seen that even in like my own life, you know, um, with mm-hmm. with my relationships with people and you know, as we've grown corridor and stuff, I, I've I've seen how my expectations of people and my uh, the and, and that combined with the way that I am personally, mm-hmm. I, I've seen how that has an effect on others. And I think maybe this is just me being an old man a bit about it, but like I, the older I've gotten, the more I've become aware of that. Um, and I wasn't as much of aware of it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's just me personally, or if that's kind of true for more people, but, um, that's, uh, that's like, in my opinion, that's one of the most important things you can do, which is why I was saying it all goes back to me for, uh, focus on 
building yourself and making yourself better and then having that have a have an effect on the world around you um because that's the most yeah i just i don't know i feel like that's the best thing you can do and you have direct control over it too mm. um so yeah um interesting though it'll be interesting to listen to this in like four days <laughs> and uh and see how see how this all went down yeah um well should we uh do you want to talk about what we just shot in texas we shot a really cool project yeah. over there and Definitely. Uh, there's plenty to talk about with that because that's that was uh that was a big week and a half there yeah and we should also give people an update on functional filmmaking because that's been going on and mm-hmm. i know that Let's hit that right now. We're almost done with the scripts. Okay. Each all the scripts yeah. are like somewhere between seventy to ninety percent here, where they're going to be all wrapped up in the next couple of days, and we are shooting next week, aka like the ninth or so. Yeah, 8th here and 9th, the... we begin filming. Yeah, yeah. We, we begin filming sorry. on the. Or no, we, sorry, eleventh through thirteenth. Yeah, we prep set on the eleventh. Carmichael has a court date on the twelfth. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say that out loud, but I just did. Um, it's probably mild. It's probably yeah, mild. It's probably mild. parking violations. Yeah, um, basically. <laughs> and then but we film Carmichael's episode. Gonna, and then... Carmichael has an electric bike. He doesn't have a car. <laughs> I mean, yeah. His name is Carmichael. Uh, you still get a ticket if you run a like. I'm not gonna say what it's for, but it it is minor. It's, it's relatively minor. Um, it's insignificant. Yeah. Anyways, we only called him M- Michael until he gets his car. Um, <laughs> by the way, Sam, you are roboting out just a little bit still. Uh, it's it's probably just fine because I'm recording on my end, so don't worry about it. Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, and then yeah, and then the week of the 16th, we go into like most of the photography. We're gonna start Clint's episode uh, next week, and then the week after that, we go into most photography. We're trying to get everything in the can before Thanksgiving. And then uh, we are trying to, this is still a little bit dependent on how the episodes are are coming in post, but we're trying to release the first episode on December 14th and then run once a week, um, sorry, the first class on December 14th. Each class has a few sort of parts to it. Um, And then run each class uh, each week for the following uh, one, two, three, four, five, six weeks, plus a bonus, uh, some extracurriculum uh, stuff. Yeah, the the week of the 25th of of January. So, yeah, that's the update on functional filmmaking for everyone who backed it. Um, I hope you guys are super excited because what we're doing with it is we're shooting it and approaching it a little bit differently than any other content that we've made before. This isn't just like, Hey, let's just go back to our YouTube tutorials. This isn't like, you know, this is, it's going to have its own sort of look and feel and style to it. Um, and, uh, I'm super excited to see what people think of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I'm just going to, we, we don't have official dates for this, but my predictions for son of a dungeon are we finish filming functional filmmaking Finish yeah. filming functional filmmaking. Yeah. Um. Over the next two to three weeks here, end of November rolls around. Green screen, studio built in 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 the in the studio. We have the yeah, three wall and the, the floor studio built before the end of the year. Yeah. So that way, when we come back in January, we can basically start busting that out right away. Yeah, that's a great um, idea. Because I think the all the creative stuff on for the show, I think is pretty much figured out. We have a lot of the all the technical approaches with photo scanning and doing all the green screen filming is kind of figured out here. Um, the only thing left to do is, yeah, basically build that part of the studio out that we need mm-hmm. and then play some D&D. How <laughs> wide, how wide do you want that 
to be? Dude, I'm thinking, well, okay, it's going to be a party of three to four people. Yeah. So ideally, it's going to be just big enough where we can get some shots with four people on it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what does that mean? Like at least, at least like 15 feet wide yeah. minimum, yeah. maybe even a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, thinking like 15, 20. We're, we're going to paint the floor and paint the wall for sure. Yeah, and do a quarter side. wall. And then add like an extra wall uh, that juts out so we can have a corner. Okay. You know, do the little ramps on the floor for those smooth edges. Yeah. Something mm. like that. But we, make it, I was, make, you know, make it kind of legit so that way we can uh, really get some awesome shots on it and future-proof ourselves for all further green screen effects. I was going to have uh, Guillermo make a few, uh, like, minor, do a few minor things in Studio 4, so maybe he can build that quarter ramp wall that makes the infinity line. Um, we can do some cool skateboard half-pipe tricks. And then we can do I mean, one-wheel the, tricks on it. I mean, the other option... The other <laughs> See how high you of, can ride up the wall on a one-wheel? I mean, just saying, the other option, instead, of, instead of doing the corner, the wall corner, yeah. you can just take a massive chunk of one of the walls, just do like a 25 to 30 foot wide mega yeah. section and just have one wall like that. Cause that would be wide enough to do some stuff. It's just the only thing you lack there is you can't, you can't like move the camera around a lot. Right. You can't like pan. And so yeah. the corner allows you to do like really intense 3d moves. And I think we should do a corner. The, yeah, yeah. I think that I might be better. Plus. So plus, Texas, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about whatever we're talking about. I, I'm not like I, I necessarily hell bent on a topic here. That's a great <laughs> topic. I don't want to talk about this Texas trip because there's a lot of funny stuff, and it was really enjoyable. And yeah, it was kind of a big deal because we shot like the biggest commercial we've ever filmed. It was our most expensive per minute thing we've ever shot. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Light Lifeline, I think, doesn't meet that. Uh, Lifeline was expensive, but it was also no, 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 no. no. Uh, it was also hours long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing this is yeah. only three minutes. Yeah, I can do the math actually. Okay, I think it was the most expensive thing per minute we've ever shot, and the best part about it was that I think we didn't just sort of absorb ourselves in a traditional industry machine. We we took. I think we had a very healthy balance of some of the best parts of the traditional industry, uh, like that gaffing and electric crew. I mean, Nico, you were the director of photography, so you tell me, but I thought they killed it. Um, yeah, they did a great job. I mean, there's things I know now going back in that I just make some minor adjustments to, like with some of the type of lights I'd pick, but I'm not super well versed in, you know, like putting together a grip truck and a gaff truck, you know, like. Yeah. So they brought good gear and the guy worked with me really well. Um, Brad yeah. did. As well yeah. as uh, well, Joe a little context, grip. yeah, it was a black yeah. Rifle actually, let's back commercial. it up for a second. <laughs> okay, we went, we went down to San Antonio to film with the Black Rifle Coffee guys, and we filmed their Black Rifle co or Black Friday commercial. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, they, they just had video. a they just had a, a partnership with uh, that came through with Bass Pro Shops that they've been working on for a while. So their coffee yes. is now in the Bass Pro Shops. Exactly, and, and so this so, is a commercial for that. And mm -hmm. so it's like uh, we got to film at a giant Bass Pro Shop in San Antonio. And it's basically just a nutty, huge action sequence. <laughs> we, call, we called it Zero Black Friday because, you know, they're all military dudes. And the piece mm -hmm. starts with these, like, tactical guys going in to break into this place. <clears throat> and it turns out it's coffee. And then it gets really goofy from there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's worth pointing out that. 
you know, this is this was intended to be like a TV level commercial. And going into it, we wanted to show them that we can make TV level stuff. You know, we make YouTube videos. We do that all the time. We can make cool action scenes, etc. But in terms of like that polish that you get with a TV commercial, you know, that's not something that we really do all that often. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, this is a thing where Jake is in Texas. He's producing a full on like full crude production, which is not something that you've done very often, Jake. <laughs> you've done it a little bit here and there. But in terms of this, you haven't done yeah. it very often. Yeah. And Sam and I are rolling in. And usually, once again, usually it's one or the other because the other person kind of stays back to, you know, run the studio when the other person goes out for a project. But in this case, we're both going there. And at least for me, you know, I think we all have the same idea, but we want all want to show that we can we can do what it takes to run a true professional production. Yeah, we can be very professional. Very professional the whole time. Everyone acts with the utmost, <laughs> no smiling. There's no smiling. There's no goofing off. There's no like sticking our hands into aquariums and getting hit by giant fishes. You know, it's we're, we're talking like we're talking like we show up. We got our suits. We got our ties all the way up. We're ready yeah. for business. No, what we actually mean by professional is that we show up. We have the shots planned and more impo- most importantly is we know how to work with the crew um, mm-hmm. because we had like a crew of 50 people on set and Sam, myself and Jake are basically sitting at the top of this crew running this thing. And if you've never led a group of 50 specialized professionals before, well, let me tell you, it's definitely a new experience if you haven't done it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, I think it's one of the things where it's like, you know, Sam and I, you know, we've had a rush and we have, we've had lifeline and, both of those really contributed a ton, I guess, to our education as filmmakers. And Jake, I'm not sure if you've ever really seen us operate in that capacity of like full set professional filmmakers before. Like we've been yeah. on sets together, but ever since we shot Lifeline, I don't think we've been on this kind of a set together. Yeah. And so Jake, you can't, you know, Jake kind of put the pieces in place and Sam and I stepped in. And, you know, once again, like your, our perception on what directing is has changed over the years. Our perception on what director of photography is has changed over the years. And we rolled in and we tried to really apply all this knowledge we have. And I feel like we did, you know, we walked away, in my opinion, like having aced it. Like the, the crew was saying they had a great experience. Uh, the Black Rifle Coffee guys, they had a great experience. I had a great experience. You guys, I think, had a great experience. Yeah. So all in all, like what we set up to accomplish outside of the quality of the piece. Hopefully the piece is good. You won't, we won't know until it's edited, <laughs> but in terms of the experience, the experience was like, it was really fulfilling as one of those things where it's like, we walked into it and we're like, yeah, we did it. We actually ran a professional suit shoot. Like I've been the director of photography on a YouTube video, but I've never done it on a real shoot with like real gear and a real bass pro shop, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then I navigated my way through it and Sam navigated his way through directing and Jake navigated his way through being an executive producer and we walked away from it having having done it. So, yeah. yeah. No, there was a moment there because I also AD'd the thing, which is a kind of a weird niche thing that most people don't know what an assistant director is. But like, well, the director is talking creative stuff with. So Nico's director. Wait, is it assistant director or asshole director? I can't tell. It's because you it's, have the director, then you have the asshole director who it's makes the, people work. It's the asshole director. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so, so the, the function of it is, and it's a good, it was a good role for me in this project because I produced it and then, um, you know, producers make really good assistant directors in my opinion, because I've worked with you guys a ton too, obviously we've been working together for 10 years now. So, you know, I understand kind of what your, what your ticks are and what your, you know, strengths and weaknesses are. And I'm able to sort of like make sure that the crew is, is participating and facilitating all of those things to the best of their ability. And 
I, but I realized about a week before I've never assistant directed a, a set <laughs> of this size, much less with a bunch of people who have been doing uh, like traditional industry work for way longer than I have. <laughs> um, and so there was a moment a week before where I was like, do I even remember how to AD? <laughs> the and, imposter syndrome starts to set in. Yeah, but you know, when I figured it out after like two hours on the first day, and I was like, oh, it's just standing there as if I was, I, the way that I was approaching it was just like, okay, if I was going to direct this shot, what would I do? And then, I, and then I'd go, okay, uh, what's our framing? Okay, what's our action? Okay, what's our lighting? And then I would just talk to each one of those department heads and then make sure that Sam had communicated his creative information first, make sure that you had communicated your creative information to the camera department and the lighting department, and then, you know, and then just step back. Yeah. Um, well, and, and don't forget, hands on your hips, slight scowl, tapping yeah. your foot, making mm-hmm. people a little anxious. Mm-hmm. That's Constantly actually, looking at your watch. Yep. Yep. You have to do that. Like, you have to be kind of an edgy, <laughs> mean guy as an assistant director. And maybe, you know, I granted there's sure there's nice assistant directors out there, but really, like, they're not working. The, they're not working. <laughs> yeah. That's the role yeah, I, I want an I, assistant director gonna, to have. I'm going to get you, Jake, I want to get you the loudest pocket watch yes. that has <laughs> yes. ever existed. That each time you take it out, it's on a little chain. Each time you flip it open, it's like clicking and ticking so loud <laughs> that everyone around you for like good like 30, 40 feet can hear just like. <laughs> each, each time somebody would give me a time estimate, I'd say, hey, how far out are you on that thing? I would literally flip my watch over and I'd hit start and I'd start timing them. And Brad noticed Brad, the, the lighting gaffer, noticed oh, no that way. I was doing this after like a few times. And he's like, are you, t- are you timing me? And he's like, uh, and then he, got, he was like, how have I been doing? And I was like, actually, you've been ahead uh, every time, you do, which is very rare. That's a good answer, by the way. Even if yeah. he wasn't quite ahead, it's a really good like, yeah, I'll keep working fast. Yeah, no, he was, though. He was giving me really good estimates. <laughs> and so I yeah. just started doing that with everybody. And uh, it was just kind of a fun little game that I was playing in my own head. <laughs> we should put that in the next top 10 games book Sam. <laughs> timing yeah, people <laughs> guess how long it takes somebody to do something and then time it and see if you're right <laughs> but you can't use a watch you have to count the seconds <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i found out i've been googling the loudest pocket watches and okay pin, apparently pin palette pocket watches it's a special mechanism that is incredibly like present and loud but like a, like a cricket th- great yeah, I'll throw it out there. That's what we need. I like you, that idea. You might see it sometime soon. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was good. I, I like filming with those guys because um, the Black Rifle Copy guys, because, you know, they already film a lot of videos. They they know how to be on camera and do that whole thing. You know, they're not like all like trained actors. Um, but, you know, like Matt and JT are like super charismatic. You know, Logan is a really great like action hero type and Evan basically doesn't act instead he just like shows up and then like it's always like a meta performance like he knows he's being filmed and like kind of intentionally like fucks things up in in a way like that's kind of funny and so you just kind of know that that's going to happen and make sure you you embrace it and it works Mm -hmm. but um i think more than anything else like i like working with them because i kind of think some of the military experience translates to the set in the sense of like them with well, the hierarchy being, the, they're, they're yeah. being on time they respect the hierarchy of the set you know they um 
like they 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 always give like a full commitment to a shot yeah. and they don't and they're tough about dudes <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah yeah you know what i mean like there, there's a really intense work ethic that they bring to it which is really great to work with because you know we were filming at night filming till 7 a.m sometimes yeah yeah um and it gets very taxing and just being able to like all right suck it up let's power through this let's yeah do it as best as we can um like i don't know it's 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 always a pleasure pleasure filming with them because of that one yeah, of the so, things that like totally that I observed because like, we were going into this, we wanted to bring in our strengths and how we operate a crew as corridor, which doesn't always translate into how a big crew operates. And so as you know, that's a thing that we tried to bring together in this piece where we had our crews, but they were very much set up to work with us as we were kind of nimbly going through our shots and doing the, th- the things that we do. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that stood out to me is kind of like, a thing that I haven't ever experienced on another commercial set that I really liked on this set. And I think it's also a, a testament to like the little bits of wisdom you pick up that aren't, you can't learn in film school is, uh, you know, all the black rifle coffee guys liked looking at the playback on the camera, you know, and mm-hmm. it's cause you know, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not a trained actor. Like usually after I do a couple takes, I need to watch myself to see how it's actually looking. Cause I don't know how I look like I'm not yeah. that good of an actor. Yeah. And uh, you know, so we get a shot. I noticed they kind of wander over to the camera. I'm like, okay, pull we'll playback. And after about like that happening two or three times, I'm like, I turned to the camera crew. I'm like, after every shot that they're in, pull up playback and have it queued up because they want to see it. And it's just one of those things like it suddenly flips a switch from it being like a commercial professional shoot to shooting with your friends. And it's not the same as having it on Video Village. It's like it's literally they walk up, they stand over your shoulder on the camera, you point at the screen, you play it back, and you all kind of chuckle about it or talk about it. And you're right there, you get the reactions. And like for a moment, like the entire crew kind of just melts away. And it's just you and a couple of buddies checking out the shot. And then like, well, what do you got to do to make it better? And like, you know, problem solving it. Yeah. And like, that's a vibe that's like very specific to like a corridor style shoot that you don't get on commercial shoots. And like, we got to bring it in there. And it stood out to me too. And we were filming with a, uh, a kid, um, this girl who's I think 10 years old, that was doing uh, wire work, um, acrobatics and stunts. And after we got a shot, you know, we're laughing about it. You know, Sam, you were laughing about like it's like the wolf shot or something like that. And you're like, you're, you know, laughing and talking about it. And the other guys are laughing about it and talking about it. And she's kind of standing there. And I'm like, hey, do you want to see the shot? And she's like, yeah. And then so I sit down and I hit playback. And like, that's something that you can't do as a camera operator on a union set. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could, you know, you'd probably get angry at you, but it's like, it kind of be like not okay. Whereas in this case, I'm like, screw it. Like, we can wait 30 seconds while I show the girl this cool shot she just did. Because she wasn't an actress. She hadn't really done this stuff before. And, like, later on, yeah. we did another shot. And she immediately walks up. She's like, can I see it? And I'm like, sure. And, you know, one yeah. second, guys. And I show it to her. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that I really enjoy with filmmaking. And I never want to lose that. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I yeah. totally agree. I totally, totally agree. I mean, it helps, too, when, like, the executive producers of the commercial are, are like, the actors in it, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and then the like, executive it, producers of the production are the director, the AD, and the DP. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but 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 seriously, it's, like, it's, it's, like, big, but, like, just small enough where there was that freedom to, you know, and I don't want to say treat it like a casual shoot with friends, but, like, not lose those core elements of what filming videos with friends is like, where it's like, here's, you know, some shots, you know, you film them and, and people do their thing and everyone's like, eh, not feeling it. It's like, Oh, what if we did this? And like everyone, like it's, it's a set where, you know, there's, there's this kind of big group of people. It's like almost like 10 to 12 people almost Mm -hmm. that 
all can still like pipe in, you know, and it's like no one's like, oh, better not speak up. You know, it's like, you know, Jake, you're throwing out stuff. Nico, you're throwing out stuff. All the Black Rifle co- co- coffee guys were, you know, Matt, Cairns, you know, a- a- everyone who was like in that like inner circle there. It was still just like a, a, a corridor shoot, so to speak, where, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. th- you know, there's no like it's not like there's a penalty for throwing out advice or like an idea yeah so we, we struck that good mix of like you know there is you know you have to respect everybody's roles on the set like sam was the director so if you're going to give direction to an actor usually you should either give it directly to sam or get it cleared by sam to give it to the actor but that doesn't mean that you can't provide an idea whereas you know once you get on a traditional set you're if you're a camera op- operator, you shouldn't be giving the director anything on a traditional <laughs> set. <laughs> but you know what? Then you miss out. It's like, hey, guys, we just tweaked the shot a little bit. It'd be great for my angle. You know, it's like you miss out on that stuff. Right. You got to hope that like the DP catches it or something like that. Totally. You know? Yeah, totally. And there are, to be fair, there are traditional sets that do run that way effectively. Um, yeah. And, but they're just they're they're guys who have been doing it for for 30 40 years and they've been working with the same crew and they all understand exactly what those little unwritten rules are mm-hmm. amongst themselves as well and uh but that's just not how we came up you know yeah we we so for us to apply ourselves into that medium exactly to the way that it's done at the highest level in that way wouldn't necessarily make our videos the best that they can be so there's you know, we, we I, I feel like maybe we were overly critical of the traditional industry back in the day, probably because we were maybe, you know, just uh, not very experienced in it. <laughs> not, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and a little bit of experience uh, comes with a little bit of wisdom. And uh, I feel like there's just, you know, the, the, there's some things that are done well, uh, you know, like like set hierarchies main making sure that especially in the ad role i was noticing like okay i don't one thing it's my job to make sure that i don't end up with a pa nation that's running around trying to do everything right so Mm -hmm. how do do you do that you you have to go through whoever the other principal party is for for whatever line of communication you need to get to um and, and making sure that that was constantly being done uh because sometimes um if you're too laissez faire about it then uh you know then you get this cluster f and it's not mm-hmm. and then that's not any good either um so yeah just just understanding what the strengths are of, of what the traditional industry has and what they can bring on board but also making sure that you're we're preserving like the creative space that we know we're good at um is super important yeah you know, None... the one thing though the one traditional thing that we didn't do on this shoot and i feel like the shoot really proves like why we're, I feel like we're kind of right. Can I, can, let me guess. Let me guess. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to make a hand sign. Is it this? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Getting rid of that goddamn clapboard. Yeah. Every time you're like, all right, here we go. Scene three, take whatever, take whatever. But it's like, shut up. Just like hit it. Sink it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, but, but here, there's so many, it's like that one action. Like, let me explain all the problems or things that just like suddenly you now have to compensate for. With yeah. That. Yeah. First off, you're adding a good five to 15 seconds on the front of every single shot. Now we're shooting hundreds of shots, right. you know, <laughs> shooting hundreds of shots. You start adding that up, you know, at the end of the day, you lose like a straight up half hour of just people messing with the clapboard right. in front of your <laughs> camera. And not only that, but like 
little things like, oh, now suddenly it's like, oh, someone is going to hit an, a mark. You know, you're going to f- pull focus to a mark or like an action is going to happen there. Everyone gets their cameras set. You know, everyone gets the focus dialed in. Boom, clapboard comes in. Oh, you lose all of it. So now all the people on cameras need to refocus to this thing. <laughs> and then they leave and then they refocus back to, you know, it's like that, that adds time. That adds error. Right. All mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, what it gives you is like a visual cue as to like a sync. But, you know, what you're using these little wireless time code boxes that are working pretty freaking well. They mm-hmm. work for everything. I mean, yeah, they could mess up. And that's like a redundancy thing, I guess, having a clapboard. But it's almost like, I don't know, it, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. We didn't so. mess up. Yeah. It it's like, I would up. rather. Yeah, it's, it's, we've gone so long without shooting with clapboards now that like. I'm kind of okay handling the fallout if there's a, an issue with, you know, like with the sound sync. It's like, well, let's just figure it out using a different fallback method, whether it's scratch audio track or it's like your, you know, date and time and just edit with what you got and then finagle the audio afterwards. I, like, I mean, yeah, you do an audio waveform sync because all these cameras have microphones on them too. So it's right. like, it's possible. There's, and, you know, I don't know. I'm so happy we didn't have to do that for this shoot because. I don't. Yeah, it's just it's just like it's like a time sink, and like everyone's primed and ready, and then this thing goes in, and like maybe I guess certain actors or like makes people feel like more serious or primes people. You know, it's like all right, here's the shot, here we go. Like, you know, but, that's that's what people said, but you know what? I think they're wrong because you know what gets people set is when you go, all right, everybody ready, cameras set, rolling, A speed, B speed, C speed. Okay, here we go. Like right then, everybody's getting set. You know, those runners yeah. on the starting block, they're they're getting ready. Right. And then, action, you know, our three, two, one, go. And then you go like, that's, that's, well, that's that hypes why, me up, you know? Well, see, that's why I always <laughs> like to yell three, two, one, action. I, I was yeah. like, I'm just like, here we go. Like, I, I have to set the bar for like energy, you know yeah. what I mean? Before people go into a take. So I have to scream it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like red leader standing by, gold yeah. leader standing by. It's cool. It hypes yeah. you up. And then it's like, all right. And scene three, take one. Mark. <laughs> It's like, it's like get out of here! Yeah. No, we need like you need like you need like someone like Hulk Hogan or someone to operate the clapboard. If, if, yeah, because if if it's if it's it's like it's like a it's like a you know a techno song or an, you know an electronic music song where it's like a drum fill like but a bit 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 you know that's that's what you're calling out. Here, yeah, you know? you're building, you're building, and you don't want some freaking like two bit chump going like. <laughs> You need you need Hulk going yeah. Hulk Hogan going like, hell yeah brother click <laughs> you know, it's like yeah seriously <laughs> now obviously if you have an editor who's not, not going to be on your set and has no idea what footage is where like then you got to label it somehow sure you know there's re- there's times to use clapboards don't get me wrong but. If you can if you can set up a system not to do it, it sure is nice. It's it's nice just directly filming the shot you want and like no no little man to stop and give up like wait, I haven't put my clapboard in the shot yet. Right. Let alone like tail slate, and then you gotta do it afterwards and just uh Someone's like yeah. tail tails tails You know, it's like they have to slip in. And they have to, they have to, they have to hope they're not interrupting the take. You know, it's like you're filming a take, and then the person's like, oh, "We didn't slate it," and so they're like trying to feel like right when the scene's over and say, "Take that tail slate right before like everyone hits cut." But 
but it's like in the moment right in between everyone stops acting yeah and everyone Before hits the cut, cut button <laughs> and they have to somehow like rush into that little micro moment we should to like, pay somebody <laughs> we should pay somebody just to tail slate an entire shoot see how they just have they to do. guess every time you're gonna say cut they just have to guess before the scene is actually cut yeah you know nothing's worth mentioning we, we ran three cameras for almost the entire shoot we ran an a camera a b camera and a c camera yeah which means that if you're going to slate for that you have to make sure all three cameras can see it yes. at the same time see, see yeah. that's what i'm saying it would have come it just compounds everything yeah not only that but on the money side of the production that's sam you're saying that's an extra half hour that you lose and you're right in a 10 hour 12 hour day that is probably about an extra half hour now extrapolate that over four days so now that's two full hours plus mm-hmm. traditionally you pay a second ac to just do that probably like a what, second like 400 bucks or something like that a day yeah, yeah yeah like a second second ac you know you're probably talking like three to four hundred bucks on so a, it's on four a days commercial it's around 1200 bucks or so yeah, so not only 1500 yeah you, <laughs> you plus you, two hours two hours of set time maybe set maybe an hour of set time costs you about three grand two grand something like that mm-hmm. so you're looking at four thousand dollars spent just get a slate in there right <laughs> at least yeah, at least. At, at least. Yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah, there's a well, lot I, of I'm reasons. Just saying, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, if I do the rough math, what having a slate on top of the, obviously, we need the personnel for it. I would say just like the time alone would have probably cost us about like four to $5,000 in time. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. We bought we bought a Ronin S2 gimbal. It just came out no, for the yeah. shoot and that was $999. So we could have bought four of those <laughs> or we could have we could have given away four of those for the yeah. same price. Do you want to like use a clapboard or get five top of the line gimbals that just came out? <laughs> 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 it's like but a clapboard's only like 10 bucks. It's like huh? Not oh, the ones that show the time. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of that stuff's really you get into these re- really weird uh like efficiency questions uh when you're on set like that especially in the on the, taking on the producer role with some of that stuff like yeah yeah there's just some you get to some of these really wacky outcomes sometimes yeah. <laughs> you know there's one there was one secret weapon that we had on the shoot that i think i really attribute i mean outside of you know outside of the fact that we've worked together for 10 years bass pro shop <laughs> bass pro shop was actually really easy to work with honestly yeah, for all amazing. the corporate things we've worked with yeah well yeah but, uh, you need a costume or a prop it's just like oh we need some more camo and they're like cool and they just run over to the camo section grab a new outfit <laughs> yeah we, we save the tags it's like yeah, done. <laughs> yeah. but the the one secret tool which is kind of boring when you put it out there is the video board it's just to whip it out your phone and you mm-hmm. shoot the video once beforehand because it's so easy to shoot a video on your phone. And you do that first and then you can look at the edit and be like, hey, this totally works or it totally doesn't work. And then you make some, you get some new shots. And then you walk into the set and you're like, oh, I have it all planned out. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a smart director. I have it all planned out. I shot on my cell phone beforehand. Well, it's <laughs> but, true, though, but, because you can see how it cuts together and you can see yeah. if you have the moment that you really need or not. And you, then you can confidently make decisions as as a director to to you know say uh, we we need this absolutely or we don't mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean pr- basically that was yeah we pre-shot the whole we shot the whole video before arriving on set and yeah. so it's like yeah if you figure out pacing for sure you go like well this moment needs to be faster or slower mm-hmm. or this moment um was yeah it's like we don't need this we cut this out um 
but also like you just generally go like well like what what are they like how will we shoot this like what's a cool angle for this or you know you 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 get rid of all those problems and it's like yeah the location's different than you know we filmed a video board in our studio but um even still we with those i mean like we we knew with i i had visited the store like ahead of time so i had a general sense of like what we could pull off and where things were um that obviously helped but um it was kind of like between Nico, yeah, I mean, you know, Nico, myself, you know, we're shooting, directing. It's like, well, we already went through the, through the process once together. So on set, it's kind of like, what's the next shot going to be? It's like, oh, well, we filmed it already. We just say, oh, it's the next shot. It's like, okay, I know exactly what that is. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've already done it. And so it's like, is it a close-up of this guy? Is it a wide shot of this? It's like, from there, all you got to do is go like, oh, well, I guess, what? where's the closest approximation in this store? That matches what we've done already. Um, and it's fast. And it's mm-hmm. very, I don't know, it's efficient. It also makes people yeah. feel like they, you, like, <laughs> everything's being done for a, an explicit reason that's already been, like, thought about. Mm-hmm. You know, it eliminates, I think, a lot of the, what is it? I guess, you know, you're dealing with 40 people, 50 people, whatever. I forget how big the crew is, but, you know, you, you eliminate everyone watching you trying to figure out your mind on like on every shot. And I, on, I think that builds a lot of doubt within people. Yeah. It's like, all right, what are we going to do for this shot? It's like, I don't know. It's like, oh, how, do, how do we want to do this? It's like, if you're doing that every single take, it's like, wait a second. Have you guys thought about this at all? Like, you know, yeah. Just winging it every time. It's like, I'm good <laughs> yeah. at winging it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm good instincts. I mean, yeah. It's like, uh, it's not as just waste. There's lots of ways to get there, you know, on smaller shoots, like a, a like a, a beat list or a shot list will will suffice usually. Um, but, you know, that's I think this is where like all the whole thing with like previs and video boards really comes into play. I mean, yeah, and it's not like we don't have the freedom to change it when we want to, which we totally did. But um, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, like, it took us two hours, three hours to shoot the video board. No, it know? took us. It, we shot it over like three days. <laughs> I think we we probably honestly spent about somewhere between five and eight hours working on Still, it. Still, pretty good for all things considered. Yeah, but but the thing is, it's like that's you have to do that on a shoot like this with this many people and this many moving parts because you don't like yeah. As I was saying with the the clapboard, it's like now suddenly if we're adding an extra like five to ten minutes per shot of <laughs> like brainstorming, it's just yeah, if things will grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, media has kind of portrayed the director as like they walk in the sets like my vision, I'm going to have an artistic vision. And like now I think I can safely say that being a director is not that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is that aspect of it. But when you're on set as a director, your job is just to be like, OK, this is the shot we're getting. So you have to stand there. You have to wear this costume. The camera has to go over there. <laughs> it's like, but the shot's already decided. The creative part's done. We're just executing that. I'm just directing the execution. And then some, you know, partway through that's be like, uh, I have idea, an idea. You know, I have this prop. What if I did this? And you're like, that's a creative idea. Let me be a director and come up with a creative solution. Like that's, you know, that comes into play. But really, you know, being a professional director is not going on set to be creative. It's going on set just to execute what's already planned. Yeah. 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 It's like understand, understanding the the rationale behind the execution. Yeah. I think is good too. Cause you know, it's you have like, to creatively like, well, execute sometimes to get your execution, but yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're not deciding like, what should my actor be feeling in this moment? Like that should all be done <laughs> before you're on set, you know, in that moment. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense. You know, when you boil it down, you spend eight hours, you spend all this time. We Sam, Sam and I spend all this time scripting, mm-hmm. right? And we scripted and scripted and scripted Sam. And then mm-hmm. once the script was finally locked, then you went out with Nico and, and, and Matt Karens and Clint too. And you guys spent eight hours total going over the, that script and turning it into actual shots. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, yeah, that's necessary, you know, because well, the in this doing the video board, it changed the script because like we're filming right. the video board and like little things start coming up. It's like, wait, we wrote it like this, but now that we're here, like doing it, it's kind of weird. So what if mm-hmm. we did it like in a, a different order right. and then we shoot it in that new order and we're like, Oh, actually this kind of works pretty well. So then after we finish the video board and before we get to set, right. We tweak the script to match the video board now. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, well, we don't want, we don't, we don't want to go to set and go like, oh, 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 why, why is, why are we shooting it like this? Like, oh, we're going to reverse all this stuff later. It's like, no, no, like just <laughs> make it nice and easy on paper so people yeah. can read through it and sit back and watch the set and go like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this is, that's happening. And that says it's going to happen here and it, it's all lining up. Like, right. yeah, if that was, that was very helpful too. Also working with multiple cameras. Like I really enjoy working with like a B camera and a C camera, especially if they're in the hands of like a good operator that can just get cool shots and you can just tell them to go get a cool shot. Yeah. Like you're shooting the video board and you have two cameras getting an alternate angle almost every time. So every angle in the video board has two more companion angles that are just totally different that you can, you know, they're cool. You can do whatever you want with them. You never have to use them if you don't want to, but you're like, you're super covered with like beats and angles yeah. and everything that you need. But that's, that's, that's where like the chaos comes into play there of like well mm-hmm. we can plan this out but then when we have the actual people performing this stuff and their stunts it's like things go slightly differently than you imagine they would and so those extra angles basically allow you to cut your way through any problem with like yeah. oh well this has to be faster and they went slower here <clears throat> and blah blah and you're like oh cool well you have all these angles we'll just like fake it you know it's mm-hmm. like cool well you know it kind of covers your butt but then also it just comes down to that chaos thing of you know someone there is a better angle now that we're here you know this is the planned out <laughs> shot that we want for the edit but this definitely looks better so let's let's cover the thing we you know are intending to do and then let's also get the better version at the same time yeah um i, I really enjoyed the puzzle mind later i really enjoyed the puzzle of uh setting up three cameras and being like where can i put the lights where it looks good for every camera and they aren't in any of the shots <laughs> yep, <laughs> slash that, the cameras yeah, themselves yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's tough i can imagine <laughs> managed to make it work yeah well you know i think that's the beauty of once again of the video board and like and once again this stuff seems like super basic once you once you've done it but like just the process of like okay let's block the actors let's get their positions figured out let's get the camera set let's get a, a, the lighting in place let's walk it again let's figure out what we need to get this essential okay cool now everybody can work all the crews go do your jobs you know get your stuff tuned up Cool. Now it's all tuned up. Let's put the actors. Let's do a rehearsal. Okay, cool. You need to adjust this light. It's battery powered, so it's easy. And this light needs to be adjusted over there. But that's, you know, it's it's also on a stand. It's a light battery or light light. It doesn't mm-hmm. weigh a lot light. <laughs> and you can move that. You know, it's like, okay, now we're all set. And like just having that process and just rolling through it every time routine. You know, it's, it's a basic process. But at the same time, it takes us it's taken us so long just to figure out like oh there's the steps we should do in this order <laughs> to make it run smoothly yeah. but yeah. it makes all the difference yeah totally uh 
Yeah, because it's abstract too. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like there's a manual for filmmaking. Yeah, and every every crew is different, and every right. shoot is different, and right. yeah, it's like that's the weird thing. It's like if there is a standardized system to some degree. Like when you walk up to the costume person, you're like, "I need my look one." It's like you know, or my first look. It's like they know what you're talking about. Like so it's a terminology that's standardized in the film industry. But that said, there really isn't a standard for like your costume should be organized exactly this way, or your costume book should be made this way. Or the way we'll be doing costume changes is like this. Like, there's no standard for that. You're just, you're just always problem solving mm-hmm. a new problem all the time. And maybe it's a similar problem to one that you know a previous costume designer has had, and you've got some wisdom on how to address it. But it's still brand new stuff all the time. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely well, problem solving. On on that note, guys, uh, my kids are getting Riley over here. Okay, make some food for the fam here. Got to close the day out strong here on election night. Yeah. You know, start start inside, then I'll vote. <laughs> There's a little bit of time left. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, we'll all, listen, we'll all be listening to this when you guys are listening to it. And yeah. uh, it'll be a great uh, look back. Do you guys want to bet yeah. money on the uh, outcome of the election? Oh, I'm looking man. at it. It looks like Biden's going to win this. Yeah, I got a dollar. A dollar up. Biden wins. Anybody want to take me on that? I'll take you on a dollar. All right, Jake. You're betting against it? Okay, yeah, okay Jake. I'm yeah. going to adjust. I'm going to adjust it. It's a beer. Once the pandemic's over, either I buy you a beer or you buy me a beer. Okay. We All we right. don't have to wait until the pandemic's over. Oh, I can just. Geez, that's a whole other conversation of when that happens. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Virtual All right. shake. <laughs> All right. There you have it. There you have it. I'm going to play, right, play this to the podcast. Out. All right, play us out. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.